Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. This is episode number 135. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today we have Kevin Rakestraw. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing... I'm doing alright. I'm doing alright as well. This week on the show, we'll be speaking with director Jack Plotnick along with composers Mark and Stefan Fantini about their new film, Space Station 76, which hit limited release this weekend. Then... In a possibly awkward moment, we'll be reviewing Space Station 76 on the show. <laughs> of course, we'll also be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand and DVD and Blu-ray releases. Before we talk about some of what we've been watching, let's go ahead and jump right into our conversation with Jack Plotnick and brothers Mark and Stefan Fantini and talk about some Space Station 76. Thank you guys so much for taking some time to speak with me. So we're going to be talking about Space Station 76. Uh, writer, director, Jack Plotnick, how are you doing, sir? I'm great, thanks. Good to be here. And we also have the two composers for the film, Mark and Stefan Fantini. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. Very Thank good. Thank you. Thank you. The, the film is based on a play, right? It was originally a stage play. Yeah, and co-written by me and several other writers. It was adapted into this film a bunch of years later, and uh, here we are. So I'm wondering what the process was like to adapt it from the stage to the screen. And I, I didn't see the actual play, so I'm wondering how much of the play is in the movie itself. Um, uh, you know, quite a bit of it. I, I guess I would say half and half. Um, I would say, I would guess maybe half the movie is is the play, and then but you know the play wasn't a movie, and it, uh, the world needed to be expanded, and characters were added, and uh, so it's it's quite different. And there's a lot more nudity in the movie. I recently realized. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot more floating naked people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So was the was the play? Did it have such a, a large kind of ensemble cast, or was it was the play more intimate affair? Well, the core the core characters in the movie were all, all there in the play always, and uh, their journeys haven't changed a lot. But then there were characters added, maybe uh, three or four characters added, and and we just tried to um, you know fill out the world uh, deep in deep in the uh, you know the um, inner turmoil and <laughs> there's uh you know quite a quite a bit of new stuff it definitely the world is much is much larger now the play was was a smaller uh slice of life thing whereas the movie is, is a bit bit more happening and the whole uh, asteroid uh crash uh, cra- uh coming towards the station that's all new and uh yeah uh the set is sure a lot better in the movie than it was in the play <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and that's actually leads me to my next question so the interesting thing about this movie is its aesthetic. It takes place in the future, but it's a 70s, 1970s version of that future, which is a fantastic idea in and of itself. Uh, <laughs> when when I was watching it, I could see it being kind of tough to frame it sort of as a funny throwback to 70s sci-fi without p- appearing too inauthentic. And I was just wondering if that's something that you guys were thinking about while working on the production design and also when composing the score. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, uh, we never wanted to do a parody of 70s sci-fi, so we were never trying to get laughs from the... Um, it's not, we're not trying to get laughs from things that you would have had to have seen those movies. It just seemed like a, a great... You know, setting it in a retro future, in other words, the future we dreamed of but never came to be, just seemed like a great way to dramatize uh, what it was like 
for me to, to, to be in the suburbs as a little boy and to, and to see my parents struggling with, with kind of realizing that the life they had moved there for wasn't quite what they had hoped for. Uh, but uh, Stefan and Mark, I'd love to hear what you guys think about that. Well, I mean, with um, this film, which was a big attraction for Mark and I, is there, there was no roadmap to follow, no other film that we could say, hey, that's really going to be a big influence. There were films that we loved from that period, but musically, I think besides some of the kind of asteroid scenes and uh, maybe the first sequence, uh, Mark and I had to kind of, you know, find a roadmap with Jack and the rest of the team. And uh, yeah. I think there was a process to that that we can get into, but... Um, Mark, did you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, sort of. After the first viewing, um, you kind of sit back and you're like, wow, I've never seen anything quite like that. I hope they hire somebody really creative to do the music when <laughs> 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 I first saw it. <laughs> and as it so happened, it was us, and it was a tremendously exciting challenge. And working with Jack made it just uh, all that much more fun. And kind of, he didn't, he was okay with us working without a net. And so failure was fine. You know, if we did something that was terrible, he wouldn't come back and say that's terrible. He would just say, let's try a different approach. But it was a very kind of comfortable environment and a safe environment to do something different. So that's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah, I love how you put that because we definitely wanted to create something new, something that couldn't be immediately categorized as, you know, it's not Spaceballs, it's not Anchorman, it's not Galaxy Quest. It's, right. uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tongue in cheek drama or it's a dramedy, or you could say a black comedy that, that, you know, while it might be set in an outrageous world, we did want the characters and their, their, um, inner lives to be taken very seriously. And yeah, there's laughter there, just like there's laughter in life. I mean, I, I love movies that, you know, like uh, Todd Solon's movies or young adult or the, my favorite kind of movies are where, you know, in one moment you're really feeling for people, and then the next moment it gets so horribly <laughs> awkward and terrible that you're laughing. You know, and uh, so right. that's what we were going for with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the score had to kind of walk that fine line because, um, you know, it's not a traditional comedy score in any sense. Um, we didn't play jokes. Um, the humor is on the screen, and we kind of just tried to sometimes play it straight, sometimes be kind of silent, and let this, the awkwardness be the comedy. Um, every scene, every frame, every note could be, you know, a change of the, the whole feeling. So if you play one too many notes, it's maybe giving too much away or it's being too tacky. <laughs> or, so we really had to work with Jack and just find the right tone and the right, you know, how much we can go this way, how much we can go this way and pulling back and, hey, play this more seriously and it's going to be even more funny and awkward. And so that was what I was saying was there's no real roadmap for this movie. And that was the appeal to find a roadmap and be original like this film. I think that that's kind of the interesting thing about this movie is it a lot of it does feel like it's a balancing act. And I wanted to go back to what you were saying, Jack, about the the comedy. And I do consider this movie a comedy first and foremost, but it does go to some very dark places. And I was wondering when you were kind of mapping this out, was balancing the dramatic elements with the humorous ones uh, something that you were kind of cognizant of throughout the process? Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, but, but for me, it, it wasn't a, a balance as much as that they were always both there throughout every scene. I just, that's how I see life. I mean, something horrible happens and you, you can cry until you change your mind about it and tell it as a funny story. And that's kind of how I feel like every scene of the movie is. There's a, 
uh, I guess I can't give away that moment. But there is a, I, I love how Stefan and Mark, like, there, there's a moment where <clears throat> somebody's belongings all get uh, exploded out in mm. space. And it's really funny. And, uh, and, and then all of a sudden they do this change in the music. And there's a shot of the of the clothing floating in air, and and all of a sudden you see, oh, that's also this really horrible and sad at the same time, and, and the audience always goes with it. It's one of my favorite moments is that 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 dress flying uh, flying um, silently in space with that beautiful music underneath. But um, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is that my goal was just to tell tell an absolutely true story, but I'm just, I can't help it. I always sort of see the funny moments in life and to just keep them both there all the time. So the movie kind of can be watched in, in different ways, depending on your mood. Um, but yeah, then there's all, there is also moments that do feel purely uh, comedic. Uh, so, um, but the thing is, I, 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 when I, I'm very easily and willing as an audience uh to go with whatever the story is doing. Um, but maybe some people, you, you do have to help help them a bit with that. And I think the music does it so so well, uh, help guide them through, okay, you can laugh here, it's okay, but the, this moment, is, you know, somebody is really suffering and hopefully you'll, you'll be, this will just get you to be more on their side and care more and be more invested in, in what they're going through. Right. I, th- I think that that's one thing that the score really does is it, it makes a lot of the scenes feel more challenging to the audience because it's it's a, a very awkward kind of comedy where you're like, oh, well, I'm not sure if I should be laughing here right. or not. Were, were all of you guys kind of setting out to make something that was more challenging? Yeah, we wanted oh. right from the very big. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we from the very beginning of the writing process, we the whole goal was to not do a movie that that's coming out coming out at you, uh, desperately trying to make you laugh and hit the jokes, but instead to do a movie that asks you to come to it as an audience and, you know, be, feel a little bit vulnerable, but, but definitely laugh at, 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 uh, at, at um, just how painful or silly or embarrassing life can be. The movie has so many subtleties, and every time I watch it, I pick up more subtleties, which is, you know, I think an audience may watch it once and, like, a lot of great movies that I like from the past, it's not a one-watch movie. This is a movie you can watch many times, and because there are so many little subtleties, you might have to go back a few times and say, wow, I caught all these little things that they were trying to do on the second pass or third pass, which if you watch great films, um, not in that genre like The Godfather, but I, I could watch that so many times because every time I go back, I see a little subtlety that I didn't catch before. And I listen to the score and I say, oh, wow, look what they did there. And I learned from it. And so I think this is that kind of movie. And when we were working on it, I think we got to kind of throw a lot of different things at Jack, a lot of different ideas. And we played with that subtlety because, like I was saying earlier, one extra note or one kind of wrong chord progression could take you out of the 70s and could feel too modern. So we really sat down at the beginning and mapped out, you know, what instruments were kind of like really heard a lot during that period and what would really pull you out of that. So we avoided that. And that was a really fun process, too, to kind of limit our palette and say, we're going to live in this 70s suburbia feel. And kind of we, Mark and I, and I'm sure Jack did a ton of research on music at that time. And we also had to blend with some of the, the um, source pieces and songs that Jack picked. The score had to interweave with those, which was another fun challenge. 
Yeah, that's what you guys you guys definitely did so brilliantly, which is that I mean that music is so that you compose is so authentically seventies, but definitely new. Like it never feels like uh, oh I've heard that before. It's just right, right. gorgeous nineteen seventies soundtrack and some and uh, you also the more you listen to it that you do you you discover new things in the music. There's there's vocal tracks sometimes that I still go oh my god like I just I just hear that 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 vocal I love that and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's very, you know, the great thing about the 70s, too, is, uh, uh, you know, some, uh, I, I do love the or- fully orchestrated 70s music, but also sometimes it was so simple. It was just a piano, and it conveyed su- such uh, feeling with, with uh, a, a relatively simple, um, whatever. <laughs> I don't, you, you chord know changes and stuff, yeah. 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 Because yeah. There, were, there were certain chord changes and in instruments that are evocative of that period. If you played it now and said it was a modern song, it might sound like it dated. But we were going to try to reinvent. It's almost like we were artists from the 70s trying to write new material. Mm, yeah. And that was the thing. That was one of the things that I found uh, great about the score was that it didn't feel like some heavy-handed... Uh, rehashing of something that's already been out it felt new but at the same time it felt of of the time as well but also with uh, sci-fi elements too so you injected that in there as well yeah well that's another one of the difficulties um that we had was i mean some of the scenes are inherently voyeuristic and you're inside these very personal private journeys that these people are taking but then you still have to utilize you know these instruments that we kind of relegated ourselves to and those were some of the most challenging scenes, just telling, helping, you know, tell the story. And ultimately, you're, you're telling a story and we're telling Jack's, you know, vision. But those scenes were that took the longest to write. Um, they're very personal and they're very important to the movie. But you're also feeling like you're, you're kind of eavesdropping on a very personal journey that these people are taking. And a lot of those scenes, they're just single person in the scene. Um, those were tremendous challenges. Well, you nailed it, because I'm obsessed with every note. <laughs> Thank you. That's great to hear. So, Thank you, Jack. Uh, since, since we've never had any composers on the show before, you guys are the first composers that we've actually interviewed. Yay. I was wondering. <laughs> I, I was wondering if you could tell us the differences between the mediums of composing scores for television versus movies because you guys have done a bunch of movies but you've also done a bunch of television right and i was wondering like what are the dif- differences uh, other than the obvious uh, length of the scores okay well i can start Great i'm question. sure mark and i have a lot of uh, experience in this area but um one of the biggest differences is time um on a television project like um we're working on a show called criminal minds um, on a show like that, and actually Jack was on an episode of that and did brilliantly. Yeah. I, it was just a I crazy a coincidence that Jack. <laughs> oh, I'll have to watch that. I absolutely have to watch that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so with with uh, a television show, um, our typical schedule might be something like this. We would get a uh, show on a Monday. We would sit in a meeting with a bunch of producers, writers, editors, um, whatnot, and we would spot the movie, which means you figure out what spots music is going to go and the tone of it. And what they would normally do um, is they would take some pieces that they think are close or in the ballpark or to give us inspiration. Could be stuff that we've already written in a previous season or something outside of our work. And they'll lay it under the, the um, picture so that we have an idea like, hey, this is going to be really scary here. There's going to be some chase kind of feel here. This needs to get emotional. But then they'll say, okay, 
this is due, you know, at the end of the week, basically, uh, maybe on a Sunday at the latest, it would be due. And we would back, basically go back to our studios and write like crazy, potentially anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes of new original score. All the stuff that they use to temp it with, which means temporary music, is then erased. We take it out of there and we have to write a completely original score of 30 to 40 minutes within about five days, typically, something like that, sometimes seven if we're lucky. And then that show is going on the air that following week or whatever. There's no negotiating it. There's a spot for it. Millions and millions of dollars are riding on that, and you're done. You have to deliver, and it doesn't matter if you break your arm or you're sick or whatever. That, that schedule must be followed. Uh, everybody's counting on it. With a film, there's certainly time restrictions, but it, it's expanded quite greatly normally. Um, you might have, talking months now, um, you have more time to sit down and, and you know, talk about things and try things and experiment with things. And uh, with Jack, we had a meeting at the very beginning, and we just talked about the 70s, and we talked about different instrumentation and, you know, feelings and different movies that we all loved and what could come to bear on this picture. And, uh, you know, that luxury of having to be able to do that and then kind of experiment with some themes and all that, that's very difficult, on a, especially on a network television show like Criminal Minds. Sometimes on a cable show, you'll have more time if a pay cable, but... With the network show, one of the biggest differences is the time. Um, so, Mark, if you want to elaborate, there are many other differences, um, you know, and I can get into more, but, Mark, you want to well, add I think, a few? Yeah, I'll just add a, a really quickly. I think with, with network television, you know, you're staying within parameters, essentially. I mean, you can do a lot of interesting stuff, but, you, you know, usually they'll say we want something very different, very fresh, very new, and ultimately – you're going to be putting out a score that serves the, you know, the public and the, and whoever's mm-hmm. watching that network. So, you know, you can be pretty creative. Um, but ultimately I think you're, you're kind of funneled down a little more into kind of what is expected from network. Now, the beauty, the beautiful thing that's happening now um, is that the lines are blurring a lot more uh, with the advent of such great cable shows. I mean, I think Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones, I mean, they've really kind of raised the bar. And so I think you're starting to see a little bit of that in network television as well, although not nearly as much as cable. Um, so they're trying to do really creative things. And I think ultimately sometimes they're successful at it. And it's giving maybe networks pause for thought to say, oh, you know what? These guys are doing some pretty special stuff. Maybe we can, you know, open the reins a little bit. So, you know, movies are tremendously fun to work on. TV is fun to work on. And I think that it's everything is going in a good direction as far as creativity and storytelling. Which, which of the two do you guys prefer? Um, I actually love both of them because you really build up your chops um, working on television because the, the repetitiveness of it, you get really good at looking at a scene and figuring out what to do. When we first started on Criminal Minds or Army Wives years ago, we were very intimidated because this massive amount of music had to be done in five days and you have to make so many judgments. One wrong note can throw it off and they can reject a cue or you could, you know, embarrass yourself. So um, I think doing it and doing it like practicing an instrument or practicing, you know, your craft, whether you're an actor or whatever, the more you do it, the better you get. So I think Mark and I got a a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, practice in doing 10 years. This is our 10th season of doing that show it's still the number one show and on wednesdays it's a huge popular you know still a hugely popular show all over the world and i think what their mandate is and this ties into the question as well is 
don't give us television. We're producing a mini feature film every week. Don't look to television shows that just lay down like a drum machine and a pad. We want you guys to score this as if you're doing one of your movies. Go all out. It's got to sound like Criminal Minds in, in general parameters of it. But don't think TV. Think feature film every week. You're making Silence of the Lambs every week. And that's where we get a lot of our chops early on in our career. We got a lot of our chops. And so when we work on movies, um, the, another big thing that you can do, and we didn't, get, we didn't really need to do it on this film, but, you know, you, you work with orchestras and things like that. On television, it's, it's very rare that you get to work with an orchestra. So that's another big difference. And then in a, normally in a movie, and, and the same with this, is you can create themes and you have an hour and a half, sometimes two hours or more to tell the story musically and let it unthread. And uh, in television, everything has to happen so fast. There's so many fast edits. The story has to be compressed into a, you know, with commercials and everything. Minutes. I mean, the, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of time to do this. Within a movie, there's so many beautiful moments that Jack caught because he let the camera roll and whatever he told the actors to do subtly in their faces, we would never really have time to show all that on television. It has to be, right. you know, much quicker and fed quicker. Um, so that's another thing that you can develop themes and really let, let the music unravel and go to different places. And, um, you know, you have more time to, to tell the story musically as well. So those are a couple of the, the main differences. And again, I think I have equal love for both. Great. That was, that was fascinating. Just fascinating. Love to hear about different aspects of productions. I have one final question. Uh, this is for you, Jack. Was Jerry O'Connell's mother ever taken care of? Did they ever get her out of that hallway? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have that question. same question. <laughs> I don't think well, Jack wants to tell us. Is that I, in part you know, two, Jack? Are you doing a Space yeah. Station 77? 77. Yeah, you're going to have to wait till next year. <laughs> <laughs> I would I love, love to that. see one. I would love to see like a space station 82 where it's in the eighties. Yeah. You, know, oh, you revisit the same things. characters yeah. as older. As, as, <laughs> yeah, as I guess they, they age up to it, but I couldn't agree more. The early eighties sci-fi is awesome. Mm-hmm. I would love, love yeah. to see that. Well, thank you so much guys for taking some time to speak with me. Uh, space station 76. It's, in limited release now and i think i read that it is going to be available this tuesday is that correct on certain digital platforms do you know the details of that yeah the the 23rd is uh, available on vod uh, worldwide i guess i think worldwide but definitely all here in the states so uh, absolutely it's you can even pre-order it now uh you can a digital download in hd or you can uh, pre-order the dvd um our website is spacestation76.com Great. Fantastic. Uh, Mark and Stefan, uh, do you guys have any plugs you want to get out? No plugs. I just want to thank you for your interest in letting us be the first composers on your show. It's been an honor, and we always love to have a conversation with uh, Jack. It's uh, an exciting time. Thank you, Jack. It's it's my pleasure. Thank you 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 for your love of film and film music. We really appreciate your interest in in getting this out to the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. That should do it. Thank you guys again so much. Thank you. Thank you again, Jack, Mark, and Stefan. Space Station 76 is playing in limited release right now, and I believe that it's going to be on digital devices on Tuesday, so you can get it a little bit early. Let's talk about some of what we've been watching. Kevin, I think we'll kick it off with you this week. Oh, okay. Sounds 
Sounds fair enough. Uh, I watched A Strange Little Cat, which uh, I don't know if you heard about this one. Yeah. It's kind of kind of garnering some buzz mm-hmm. in the festival mm-hmm. circuit there, which this is a, a student film, which I think I knew but didn't knew when I watched it. It, some, it somehow was in the back of my mind that I knew that this was a student film. I don't know how. But uh, it definitely feels like one because there's not much going on. Uh, it's only 72 minutes long, and it's just camera picking up some domestic action inside of a small apartment with this family. And there's a cat. There's a little cat. Cat's not strange though. Oh, it's Cat's, just normal. Just no, normal it's cat. yeah. It's the it's, most. It's the no, most normal uh, being. In so this they probably should have world. renamed it the normal cat. The normal cat in a strange family would make much more sense. He's not that little either. He's pretty big. He's a pretty big orange tabby. But he just he just maneuvers around the space, and that's all that really happens here. Is it's just a smattering of like interactions between this family. Uh, they're getting ready for uh, like a sit-down dinner. Mm-hmm. So it's just their day, and it's just very nicely paced. Um, there's not a lot, you know, to really cry out about that it's amazing or anything. It's just a nicely paced little film that works. I, it's bizarre. I don't know what to say. Like, I enjoyed it. To me, it was like reading a nice novel on a lazy Sunday. <laughs> but I know what you mean. Like, the story, you know, there's nothing there story-wise. It's just how he how he captures these these moments with some nice camera work, some tableau shots, and there's some there's some strange things going on in here. So it's like a light recommend. Okay, and uh, yeah, that's been garnering a decent amount of buzz. So check that out. Is it, that it, a, how, how did you watch this? Is this available? Um, uh, I watched this on Festival Scope. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's available on anything else. Okay. Perhaps. Let me check real quick. I think that it is. I think that it is. Um, no, maybe not. I think this is if it loads. Here we go. If you have, uh, if you have Fandor, it's on there. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I th- yeah, I thought it was available on one of those services. I saw a movie called Don't Look Back. This is directed by uh, William Dickerson. We're gonna have him back on the show. He was on the show before, and we're gonna have him back on to talk about this movie. Probably going to be an awkward, another awkward interview because I didn't really like this movie at all. <laughs> and it's unfortunate. It, it turns out to be just meh. You know, it's one of those movies where there's some really cool concepts that happen in it. It's basically about a, a girl who her grandmother dies. She inherits the cabin at, where she grew up because her both her parents died when she was young. And she's an author, so she inherits this cabin. She looks at it as an opportunity to go work on her next book at this cabin. And she's trying to decide if she wants to sell it or keep it. And she ends up meeting some of the people that she grew up with in her hometown. And what happens is some of her childhood trauma begins to boil to the surface. And we find that she had a very tough childhood there were some things that happened when she was a child that she sort of uh, repressed and everything starts boiling to the surface Uh, she she meets this girl who becomes her roommate and they hit it off right away but then it kind of turns out that this girl is a little nutty and a little obsessive 
They always are. The problem with this movie is I saw the twist happening 10 miles away. I knew I, everything sounds, that was going to happen. It in sounds this movie. like I can guess it just from the synopsis you gave me. I knew everything that was going to happen in this movie. And that was the big problem. It's really that twist that brought it down for me. And it's disappointing because I liked the idea of exploring this this woman and, and how when she comes back to her childhood home, all these things, all these feelings and things start boiling to the surface. I like that. And I like the way that they explored what happened to her as a child. Mm-hmm. I like these kinds of movies. These it's sort of a psychological thriller, but it really looks deep into her past. And it's she plays a pretty complex character, but the way the, the thing that happens is just so tired and i think in my review i said if this happened prior to 1999 it probably would have seemed fresh and new but it it came out in 2014 and it just doesn't work anymore for me there is a little sequence that they show at the very end that sort of ties everything together and that actually worked for me but it was just too little too late the i have a feeling with you saying if it came out before 1999 I know. Feels though I know that that, that, that probably now. gave it all gave it away. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> all right. It's very De Palma esque too. The, a lot of the camera work harkens back to early De Palma. All that stuff worked. It looked great. There were some really cool shots in it. They he used some really interesting framing choices. There's a this. Uh, single take shot at the at the end of the movie that goes backwards through the entire house that really looks good there's a scene where everything is seen through like an old camera and that actually works a lot of times that doesn't work in movies yeah but does, does he does he employ some split screen uh does he not, go full no, on no, diploma no no, no. Okay. no he doesn't so, not that so, i'm aware of so unlike diploma he knows when to stop yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say it's it's like the earlier De Palma stuff, not the more recent stuff. But this is available on Amazon Instant Video. I think that it's going to be, by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be up on iTunes as well. And uh, we'll have to wait for the interview. But I spoke with him a bit via email. And it was, I think that there's going to be an interesting story behind this because... This was a first the first movie he did where he was sort of a hired gun mm-hmm. and he was kind of at the beck and call of the producers and he was from what he tells me he was kind of battling with them every step of the way. So I think that there's going to be some interesting stories behind this. He said that for a lot of things he had to essentially shoot two versions of the movie, which was the movie version and then the TV version. Oh yeah, that that always works out. And as it turns out I don't, I don't, you know what? I'm going to save it because I don't know what he wants me to say, but just look forward to that. We're getting our schedules lined up now. So look for that. I'm in just coming Im- weeks. I'm just imagining him listening to that being like, what the fuck? That was off the record. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I didn't say anything. I, I didn't say anything too revealing. We'll, we'll do that in the interview. You forgot to mention that this has Roddy Piper in it. It does have Which Roddy I Piper feel in as it. Yeah. Very he important. was. 
he was solid. I didn't even recognize him at first in this, but he was really good. He played a really creepy character in this. He was quite good. Everyone else was pretty bad. Mm. The dialogue was not great. Yeah, that's not good if Roddy Piper is your high point. <laughs> is your high point well, he, he didn't no play a big... He didn't play a, He played an important part, but it wasn't a very big part. So, Boy, oh boy. Don't look back. It's on video on demand platforms right now. You can read my review on the <laughs> site for more details. Mm. Uh, I watched uh, Trans Europe Express, 1967. This is from surrealist novelist Alain Roque-Grillet. This is his second. This is his second effort, directing-wise. So, and in this one, he has a shit ton of self-referential fun with his movie about drug smuggling, in which he knows nothing about drug smuggling, which is part of the fun. <laughs> it's him. He plays the director. He gets on the Trans Europe Express with his producer and his assistant, and his assistant's played by his real-life wife, and they're on the train. And he just throws out the idea like, hey, let's make a movie set on this train about drug smuggling. And his assistant wife is like, well, you know, if it's going to take place in Antwerp, it should be about diamonds. And he's like, no, 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 I want to do I want to do drugs. So Jean-Louis uh, Trentignon shows up. He like jumps on the train and they're like, oh, look who it is. And they're like, oh, he's perfect for the lead. So he ends up playing out their whole brainstorming session of the movie that they're deciding to make so it gets completely convoluted plot wise because they can't figure out what they want to do with this movie or how they want to do it so as they're brainstorming it and discussing it Trentignon is acting it out and he gets more confused as the film goes along and then the director starts sort of injecting his own his own desires into the film namely uh, bondage sex so <laughs> he sort of gets sidetracked by that constantly uh and it turns into this him you know tr- essentially trying out for this drug smuggling ring by doing like some trial runs with with fake merchandise to see if he's up to the task and he becomes increasingly paranoid because everyone plays a part in this movie so he starts thinking that every single person works for the drug smuggling ring and everything just gets really confusing. But they have a shit ton of fun with it. And it's kind of hard to even criticize the film. Because as it's playing out, the director and the producer, it'll occasionally cut back to them. And they'll sort of, they'll discuss plot holes and things that are working and not working. And then just cut those scenes out. Hmm. And then they do it through like visual gags and stuff when they go back to the actual story that's being played out. It's very interesting. And the cinematography is done by the guy that did Pootie Tang. So, didn't what? know I... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know I would find that out. Yeah, I was like, you know, cinematography is pretty good. He, the guy has a lot of fun doing the visual gags and stuff. And uh, so I'm like, oh, I wonder what else he's done. And uh, yeah, he did Pootie Tang. So, there you go. Hmm. Willie okay. Current. Pootie, okay. Pootie Tang and Trans Europe Express. Hand in hand. That's very interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to more of these films because they're just... It's like French New Wave, kind of like Godard, but not taking himself seriously. I'm interested in this one. I want to see this one. Yeah, this is also... I think almost all of his films are on Fandor right now. And if you can't tell, I got Fandor. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) I signed up for Fandor. Finally finally broke down and got it. Uh, If you subscribe to a film comment, there's a... 
there's a coupon in there for 40% off. So you get it for $6 a month, right? So I'm cool. like, I'm like, well, let me check this out and see what they got. In like one hour, I added like 100 films to my queue. Nice. So I'm pretty excited. And my That's life is pretty much over. Fandor.com. Check <laughs> it. <laughs> Plug that shit. I saw The Scribbler. Oh, boy. Now, now. This is such a ridiculous title. Yeah. I can't well, take you seriously when you say The Scribbler. I know. <laughs> well, that's the way I say it more than anything. <laughs> but can you say it any other way? I can't way? say it any other way. I just love saying it like that. <laughs> so this is based on a graphic novel, which I have read. And okay. it it follows the graphic novel very closely, except for a few key elements that basically ruin the movie. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. I mean, even the dialogue is nearly word for word from the graphic novel. And this is a prime example of why sometimes it doesn't work to pull dialogue from a graphic novel and display it word for word. It works within the context of the graphic novel because you're reading it. You know, it's <laughs> you keep it short because you're reading it and it's quick conversations between two characters on a tiny panel. In a movie, you need to expand it. Yeah. And they did a little bit. The other thing that that really sucked about this movie was they tried to tie it all together into they used this framing device that was with Michael Imperioli and Eliza Dushku. And the framing device was ridiculous and didn't work. It was one of these tired, oh, it's a, a police interrogation. Mm-hmm. And the main character, Suki, is getting interrogated and it cuts back and forth between them interrogating her and her recounting the events of the movie. But there's flashbacks within flashbacks. It's it's a crazy movie. It's a very cerebral movie, but it's not as weird as it wants to be. It's not as surreal as it wants to be. And the thing that was most disappointing about this is that it's an awesome premise for a movie. It's about a girl who has a dissociative identity disorder. She has multiple personalities, and she's in a mental institution, and they come up with this invention that burns, quote-unquote, burns the additional personalities out of her head. So every time she uses it, it eliminates one of the personalities. So they use it a couple times. She seems to be doing better. She's lucid. She's she, She has it under control. So they send her to this halfway house where it's just full of crazy people. The other difference between... <laughs> The other difference between this, and that's the thing, like, it's a halfway house, but you're like, these people are not ready. They're not ready. (laughs) They're insane. Right off the bat, she meets Gina Gershon, who's walking around the entire movie with a giant boa constrictor wrapped around her shoulders. That seemed, the boa constrictor should not be anywhere near, you know, mentally unstable people. And she immediately gives gives her a, a great milk bath recipe. Oh, we got so we have a milk bath in here. There's a milk bath. Yeah, of course there is. There's one girl that just walks around naked the entire movie. Of she, course, uh, Michelle Trachtenberg is in this. She's she plays this kind of e- evil person named Alice. Uh, so anyway, she gets to the halfway house. It's full of women. There's one dude played by Garrett Dillahunt. He's great in this, by the way. He's great in everything. And in the comic book, 
it's men and women. It's there's not, but in this, it's it feels like they wanted to Hollywoodize it a little bit and make it all like sexy women. It's a tower full of sexy, <laughs> sexy broken women with boa constrictors and milk baths. Yeah, wow. So that was a little. That sounds like yeah, you know, whatever. So basically, what happens is she begins to to black out when she does her her little. Um, machine that burns these things out of her is that the scribbler does it scribble them out the scribbler is one of her personalities oh. the scribbler doesn't talk but they write things oh, like on sc- on um. the walls and things like that and it's all all backwards do they write in the air by any chance <laughs> no that's just you uh, <laughs> so i'm looking for a character i can relate to uh no, you, you won't be able to find anybody in this movie that you can relate to. So people start dying, and it, they appear to be suicides. However, you come to find out that oh. it seems that there's a murderer on the loose, and initially she thinks that the scribbler's doing it. She thinks that the scribbler's killing people because she blacks out when she does these things, and she'll wake up a day or two later in a strange place, and she doesn't know what's going on. But then she starts to realize that, wait a minute, I... I am a second personality. I'm not the real me. Oh, no. So now she's worried about eliminating her own oh. personality. Oh, my goodness. And that she was actually a personality that was created in order to appease the doctors and things when she was in the institution. Oh, boy. And oh, it's actually it's a really cool idea. Yeah, yeah that sounds pretty interesting, actually. But Do it right. It kind of turns into this superhero movie of all things. It's <laughs> it's crazy. It really is crazy. But in the comic book, it works. In the movie, it doesn't work. It looks like something straight out of the 90s. A lot of the dialogue is ridiculous. The visuals, some of them look good. Some of them don't look good at all. Because this is a pretty low-budget movie. And they're trying to do some really ambitious stuff with this. Mm-hmm. And not, not all of it works so it's unfortunate but i can't recommend the scribbler it's just it's too all over the place and a lot of the those those two main changes that they made really just did not work for me i think if they kept it closer to the comic book story-wise and maybe deviated from it a little bit dialogue-wise may have worked better But as it stands, no, I cannot recommend it. I do have a review up for this on the site as well. It sounds like a mess. It is. It is kind <laughs> of a mess. I mean, it, it gets really weird, and there's some really weird kind of surreal things that happen in it. Some really crazy shit happens. But by the end, it it's almost like it's just a typical superhero movie with two super-powered beings battling it out. Ooh. And by that point, it's just laughable. Oh boy, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to you want to talk some obvious job? Sure. Let's talk some obvious job because I saw that and I was meh meh. What do What well, do you think? How's I this, thought it was hilarious. I was meh. I was to me. It was like equal parts ex- extremely annoying and hilarious. But at like I watched it last night and today. I don't really remember much of it other than it made me chuckle a couple times. And I feel as though 
if this movie did not have abortion anywhere in it, we wouldn't be talking about it that much. Well, I don't know. Well, I think we as a whole, yes, I agree. But even if it didn't have the abortion stuff in it, I think I would still find it to be funny. I just love Jenny Slate's character. I do. I thought she I, was hilarious. Jenny Slate is fantastic. I just, I didn't like her character too much. It just, it seemed, I don't know what they were going for. Like, the the sequence in which she goes back to her mother's house to tell her that she's pregnant and she's worried that she's, you know, never going to be back allowed to the house and her mother was going to hate her. I was just sitting there, like, thinking, how fucking old are you? Are you 15? Like, you're a grown woman. You're a college graduate. Like, why why are you worrying about that? Well, I think that's why... I don't... It's parents called don't, Obvious Child. She still, she still acts like a kid. It's just... Oh, my goodness. I, I can't get behind those characters. They just annoy the shit out of me. Uh, she, I didn't find it annoying at all. I, I found her completely lovable in a... <laughs> In a really kind of gross way because of all the uh, poop and fart jokes and that. See, to me, that got old after a while. I thought that was funny too. It's like it's just <laughs> it's like Sandler level, but for some reason we like it because it's not coming out of Sandler's mouth. It's coming out of a cute twenty-something. Right. Well, exactly. That's why it works. Yeah, it doesn't work. For me. <laughs> That's why it works. I need I need more than that. Well, the, I think that the movie did have more than that, though. I mean you can't dismiss the abortion stuff because that really was an important part of the movie. And I gotta say, kudos to them for just discussing abortion so nonchalantly. Like, there's no... The film doesn't take a stance or anything. It's just, it pops up like she's, you know, going to get her laundry done. Like, hey, I'm getting an abortion. That's it. That's like the end of it, really. And (laughs) and that was one thing that I appreciated a lot about this movie. Yeah, I was like, that's good. And, And I think that people other critics and things are are really focusing on the abortion part of it and i don't think that they really should i think that people probably go into this movie expecting it to be all about the abortion thing and it's not it's the, yeah. the abortion thing is it comes very late in the movie and it's not really yeah, what the just, movie's about yeah it just pops up like oh, i'm getting this done and then that's it really and i think that that's i think that it's a realistic way to portray it there's so many other movies that deal with abortion and i feel like a lot of them i'm I'm sure a lot of them do it right but within the context of these characters you know 20 somethings people late 20s in new york now this thing happens that's probably how they would deal with it yeah the the, i had a couple other problems with it mostly the the side plot with david cross Oh, like, that, that f- was what my... What was the point of that? That was Why? my least favorite movie. That that whole scene with David Cross <laughs> when he's trying to like seduce her. Yeah. I, is... I could have done without that whole thing. And that... I mean, I love David Cross. But even watching it, I'm thinking, why are you here? Why yeah, is I, this happening? I'm not sure if I said it in my review, but when that happened, the whole movie grinded to a halt for me. Yes, it sucked the life out of it completely i'm not yeah so i'm not suppo- sure was that supposed to mirror an abortion was that supposed to be an <laughs> I don't abortion think so. of I don't the think film so, but yeah that was unnecessary i didn't find it funny i i wasn't into that and i uh jake lacy's character was just a a bit too wooden just oh man he was a rough watch i think he was supposed to be like that I, I know i know i'm not blaming jake lacy but i'm just the the character that he's playing playing to me is just entirely too wooden 
even though it is me. Well, yeah, it is you, but <laughs> I think also... Maybe that's what it is. I didn't like seeing myself <laughs> on screen. I'm like, no. Well, you know, he does He does <laughs> play... Uh, it's he was he was the new Jim Halpert in The Office. I know, that's the funny thing, because <laughs> after the movie's over, my wife is like, is that the guy that people say that you look like? And I was like, no, they say I look like John Krasinski, but it's funny because, you know, Jake Lacey is sort of the new Jim on John on The Office. And she was like, yeah, you look more like Jake Lacey. You look exactly like him. And I was like, cool. So I look like both of them somehow. Yeah, you, you look like a mixture, I think. I'm like Jake Lacey and John Krasinski had a child. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with your personality, too, because I think that that affects just their their mannerisms and your mannerisms there's just a lot a lot in alignment there with those with those characters but either way i thought it was all right like there's uh, like i said like most comedies half of it worked for me the other half was excruciating i just didn't think that it was unbelievable well, I think, like i was hearing well that's see point. that's the other thing i went into this i saw this at sundance i knew nothing about it all i knew is we featured we featured that movie back when it was getting funding on Kickstarter. So I knew a little bit about it. Very, very little bit. And I went into it at Sundance just because I knew that we, we backed it on Kickstarter and all that. And I was just so surprised at how funny it was. I didn't expect it to be the way it was. I didn't know that it was about abortion. I didn't know that they tackled that subject. So I think that maybe coming from a different perspective on it i think that's i enjoyed it, it more i think maybe my expectations got a little bit too high because there for a while i mean people were Everybody just constantly talking about, talking about obvious child oh my goodness it's a bit much i didn't still live, didn't live up to it unfortunately i did i did enjoy it it's not like i hated it but i just didn't think it was anything special well i enjoyed it quite a bit i on a rewatch i was still laughing a lot at a lot of the stuff so comedy wise for 2014 pretty good yeah stack it up against everything else well i saw one that uh i, I kind of feel the same way you do about obvious child with this movie it's called Uh-oh. the canal canal yeah this is uh this got you, a deep got a decent amount of buzz you watch a lot of movies with very generic titles <laughs> <laughs> i've noticed well some of them aren't by choice. <laughs> Some of them are by obligation. But anyway, I will. I'm working on a review for this, but I don't think there's any sort of embargo or anything. So, uh, so this is a horror movie. Uh, I believe it's an Irish horror movie. Got a lot of got a lot of buzz. It was played some of the festivals. A lot of people were talking about it. It's a supernatural horror movie that revolves around this guy who is a film archivist and. He and his wife and his young son move into this new house. And he, when he's at work one day, he gets a bunch of films in that he has to review. And they're police, old, old-timey police films from 1902. Oh, and he, he puts it on, sits down. Turns out it's a grisly murder that took place in his house. Oh, man. And... He, as he begins to research this, he finds that pretty much every single person, I think every person that lived in that house, ended up murdering everyone else in that house. Oh, okay. So, 
So he is concerned. And naturally. Naturally. A series of events take place. I don't know if it's... Hmm, I don't know what would be considered a spoiler and, and not. So I'm going to kind of cut it off there as far as the synopsis. All right. Strange things start to happen, but I know you're all thinking, bro, haunted house, you know, creepy stuff. But it's not necessarily that. It's more tense than most of those haunted house movies. There's more to it than that. And there's a lot of different ways that you could interpret this movie. Things are kind of left ambiguous. There's some things that aren't explained. I would compare it, the style of horror, I would compare it similarly to Sinister. There's a lot of stuff like that with watching films and weird things happening in, in old film stock and stuff like that. There are a few jump scares in it. I don't think, I think maybe only one got me. It's more moody than anything, but I'll tell you, the thing that really makes this worth watching is the end. The end of the movie is so intense, and they go places that you do not expect at all. And you're like, I cannot believe they just showed that in (laughs) this movie. It's crazy. Hmm. I didn't love it. I thought that it could have been... I think that they could have amped up the horror a little bit. And maybe explained a little bit more about what was going on. And there's a sequence that happens at the very end of the movie. Because I thought I had it figured out. And then something happens at the end that completely blew my theory out of the water. So. Oh, man. it's a, I recommend it. As far as, like, looking back at the other horror movies that came out this year. I think that it probably will land in my top ten okay. somewhere. Stack it up with everything else. The camera works good. The visuals are solid. There's some intensely disturbing imagery in it. The performances are really good, especially by the kid. I know that I'm very hard on child actors. And <laughs> you this, should like to tear them apart. Yeah, this kid is incredible. He's Uh-oh. he's really really good in this movie. Uh oh. He's just so adorable. You just want to protect him you just want to hug this kid and get him out of this situation (laughs) (laughs) oh boy so i believe the canal comes out sounds interesting yeah i mean if you're looking to see some new horror movies this halloween i might put it on your list speaking of disturbing imagery gozu (laughs) gozu oh gozu Okay. I thought you I thought you saw this one like a long time ago. No, this is uh when this came out, this is you know, me and you were obsessed with MiaK back in the day. We went through like everything, just about. And right before Gozu came out is when I started, you know, that's when I discovered like eight and a half and I started going off into like Italian neorealism and French New Wave. And then when Gozu came out it was just kinda like, Oh yeah, I'll check that out at some point. Hmm. So here we are, 11 years later, Kev's <laughs> checking out Gozu on Fandor. I got Fandor, and it's on there. So me and my wife are like, hey, what what can we watch on a cozy Saturday night? Oh, Fuck boy. it, let's do Gozu, right? Perfect romantic film, and holy fucking shit, this thing is fantastic. It's just, it hit all the right buttons. This thing is just apeshit insane. But at the same time, 
very straightforward. I don't know how he did that. I I remember. I mean, it's, honestly, I remember nothing about it other than some of the. Do you remember more intense imagery? Do you remember the, the uh, starting off with the dog? Do you remember? No, what happened? I don't remember that. How do you not remember what happens to a dog, Adam? I oh, don't you probably remember it. you probably tried to block that. I probably out of yeah yeah I blocked that. it. Well, just to let you know, a, a Chihuahua is like football spiked on a sidewalk a couple times and then thrown against a window and then picked up by the leash, whipped around its head and then thrown against the window again because this Yakuza guy is fucking insane. He thinks that it's a Yakuza attack dog that's been trained to kill Yakuza made men, which it turns out he thinks everything is has been trained to kill Yakuza. So they decided we got to get rid of this guy. So a Yakuza buddy of his is driving him to the small town of Nagoya to dump him. Just get rid of this guy because he's completely apeshit insane and he's trying to kill everyone. And he, you know, he touched down, spiked a dog in broad daylight in front of everyone and thought that it was completely normal. So he goes trying to dump this body, but he ends up losing it. So, it, you know, turns into this comedy. It's just a bizarre mixture of slapstick comedy disturbing imagery, surrealism like you've never seen in your life before, just all melded together. I would say there's a solid amount of horror in there, too. There's some horror. There's some body horror. The The end of the movie is... It's something. Yeah. It's something. Uh, it's body horror beyond belief, really. To the max. To the max. Old women lactating. Yeah. Minotaurs. There's minotaurs in there. Okay. And they they sell it right, isn't that the whole one of the premises? She lactates into jars of milk and then sells it to like the village people or they, something. Yeah, she delivers it. She delivers it to them because delivering milk is healthier than drinking milk. So keep that in mind. Uh, there's chicken custard. There's cross-dressing coffee shop owners, and the best thing about this movie is all of it is soundtracked with the perfect unsettling soundtrack I've ever heard, which is various woodwinds being tortured by crying babies. If you can imagine that. Hmm. It's just, this movie is something else. It, it needs to be seen to be, be believed. It's just unbelievable. It was my perfect type of weird. Well, you know, he has a new movie that premiered at TIFF just recently, and I heard it was pretty good. I heard it was more like him going back to his roots. Yeah, it's just it's per, it's essentially Miyake doing Lynch almost to a point. I think a lot of his movies got into that territory, that surreal territory. But like I said, it's very bizarre in in the fact that it's it's just chock full of all these weird scenes and characters and just surrealism on top of surrealism. Yet the actual plot, the narrative of the movie is really straightforward. It's I mean, pretty it's much not, a Yakuza movie, Yeah, right? it's not that complicated. He has to dump this body. He loses it. And then he's essentially going through, like, the spirit underworld. And then he finds him. And, my God, does he find him in probably the worst way possible. And it's just... there's, But the sprinkled throughout is just comedy. Just slapstick, ridiculous comedy. And sound effects. I mean, it's just... It's unbelievable. It's something else. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I'm just, you know, I'm just like I'm watching this right now with my wife. This is bizarre, and she was actually into it. So there you go. 
Wow. What's up? Cool. What's up? Gozu. Gozu. Perfect, Check it out. Perfect date movie. Not sure about that, but... <laughs> Give it a shot. See what happens. The only other one I wanted to mention was I got the Blu-ray for The Battery, directed by, written and directed by Jeremy Gardner, starring also a very small crew on this one. And Scream Factory put out the Blu-ray, so you know it's going to be high quality. It's got that awesome double reversible cover that they have, so I love that. Uh, the transfer is really good. If you So if you haven't seen this movie, check it out on Blu-ray because it looks great on Blu-ray. And one of the best things about it is the fact that it has a feature-length documentary that is the making of the battery. And it's this is one of these making-of documentaries that could easily stand on its own. Sort of like Full yeah. Tilt Boogie, the uh, From Dust Till Dawn documentary, or even... Uh, what was the one? Troma put out one on the Terror Firmer movie that was a feature length that could have been its own thing because it kind of covers more than just the battery. You could you could say the same things about any independent production. It, it really goes through the troubles that they had in getting this thing made because they had a super small budget. They didn't really have any. They couldn't afford tons of extras or anything like that. And just goes through all of the the hardships that they encountered mm-hmm. doing this. And fortunately, they took a ton of behind-the-scenes footage and stuff as they were shooting. So, it's like you can you can see it all play out. Yeah. But if you haven't seen the movie yet, it's awesome. I, it was my favorite horror movie of 2013. It's a very dry... I don't want, I don't want to say dry, because that, that kind of makes it sound bad. But it's a very a light zombie movie where there's not that many zombies in it at all. It focuses more on the relationship between these two, these two guys who are former baseball players and just them trying to deal with living through the zombie apocalypse. Hmm. There's not a ton of action in it. And there are, Several very long single take shots. There's one uh, that lasts almost 10 minutes. There's a 10 minute single take shot in this. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, he smokes an entire cigarette in it. Damn, it so takes you, him 10 minutes to smoke a cigarette? Well, Jeez. it's the scene's like nine minutes, but. My goodness. It starts before before he lights it up. So. Damn. Savoring that cigarette. The opening scene is also a very long single take that looks amazing it's just i can't recommend this movie enough it's not the best horror movie ever it's not the best zombie movie ever but what they did with what they had is so impressive and i just i love the look of the movie and i will always be trying to push this movie on people to see yeah because it's it's just so much fun i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna have to check this one out. i know i said that numerous times but it feels as though Every podcast we do, you talk about the battery. And if, I just feel as though you're directing it at me. Like, watch well, the fucking thing already, Kevin. Well, no, so I knew you were going to watch I'm it at some it. point. I figured you'd watch it around Halloween or something. Well, this but... is one of those, like, resolution. I put that off for so long. And then yeah. immediately when I saw that, I was like, damn, I should listen to Adam and watch the battery. I don't know if you'll like the battery as much as resolution because... There was more going on in in the resolution, but at the same time, it's 
it shares some qualities. It's about two guys trying to get along, their friends, the struggles that they have. The interesting thing is this movie also highlights some of the monotony that you would go through, some of the boredom that you would deal with. Are you kidding me? The zombie apocalypse would be nothing but boredom. Yeah. And I don't I don't think any other movie has explored that, just how boring it would be. And they they do get into that in this. So <laughs> highly recommend it. The battery, buy it on Blu-ray. It's pretty cheap, I think. But Scream Factory put it out. It looks great. Check it out. All right. All right. You ready to talk about some Space Station 76? I guess so. All right. I have a synopsis here. A 1970s version of the future where personalities and asteroids collide. This This is directed by Jack Plotnick. It stars Patrick Wilson, Liv Tyler, Marissa Coughlin, Matt Bomber, Jerry O'Connell, Kylie Rogers. Um, Jack Plotnick is in it, too, for a very brief amount of time. And he also plays the little uh, Does he play Dr. Bowser? No, he's like the announcer where he's like... Med bay doors open. Med bay doors close. He's like that guy. That that person. That computer. So I saw this back at South by Southwest. So I have a review up on the site. Kevin, we'll start it with you. What did you think of Space Station 76? Uh, I just found out that uh, the voice of of Dr. Bot is the guy from Blossom. Joey Lawrence? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, Michael Stoyanov. Oh. Which, who, he looks so familiar. Who did he play? Who did he play? He was Anthony he, he was, Russo. He, he was Blossom's brother, right? Wow. Wow. I just got transported back in time. Unbelievable. So that's Dr. Bot. Okay, what did I think of Space... Sorry, I got sidetracked there. Um, It looks great. The The production design of everything is fantastic. The costumes, the sets... Uh, the music in the sense that it's the easy listening bullshit from the 70s that drives you fucking insane, i.e. Todd Rundgren and Neil Sedaka. <laughs> like the last fucking thing I want to hear playing over and over and over again while I'm watching a film. Um, but I understand why they did it. It just sucks that I hate that music more than anything in the world. Um, I love it. I, oh, I think it's so kitschy and fucking <laughs> I love it. terrible. Just makes me want to punch myself over and over again. Um, and it's the comedy works in spaces. Like I found Doctor Bot to be absolutely hilarious. Every I interaction, love Dr. Bot. every interaction with Doctor Bot is great. Um, Patrick Wilson's performance I thought was fantastic, even though it is kind of like it felt essentially like a Will Arnett performance mixed with Ron Burgundy. Yeah, I could see that, but. But I didn't. I there was, enjoyed. There was more going on with his there was, character. Yeah, because he's completely downtrodden and just suicidal, which added another layer to it. Every time he tried to <laughs> kill himself, just sadness, just buried underneath. Um, but there's also sequences where they're going for comedy, and it doesn't work at all. And for whatever reason, it seems like the times that it doesn't work, those are the ones that last forever, and they just keep going and going and going. And I just wanted it to stop. Well, I thought that this movie was really funny. I gave this a big pass. I think I gave it a 7.5 out of 10 on on my initial review. How badly did you want to give it a 7.6? Be honest. Oh. Be honest. 
pretty pretty bad. <laughs> I got as close as I could. I gave it a seven and a half simply because I thought that the the comedic beats that worked really worked for me. I thought almost every line out of Patrick Wilson's mouth made me laugh. I thought Doctor Bot was fucking hilarious. Again, like you said, I love the production design. I thought that they completely nailed the seventies aesthetic. Yeah. I I mean, just <clears throat> from the costumes to the the rooms, the 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 court, their quarters, and just the hallways and the doors and everything. I thought that they completely nailed all that. I'm sure that this was a low budget movie too. Yeah, well, they, de- they they definitely do a lot with the yeah. budget that they have. I mean, the I, some of the effects are they don't really work too well, but at the same time, you, you give it a pass because you're like, well, it's the '70s right, version of the, the movie. Maybe so. it's supposed to look like that. So. I thought that, that was all interesting. I thought the things that didn't work for me uh, mostly revolved around the the plot, yes, uh, which uh, was non-existent. It, well, the, there's a little bit there, and they. I mean, it bit, is so thin. It's very thin, and it's played very seriously, even though it's always punctuated by a moment of comedy, and it's usually the moment that doesn't work, and they just it drags out, and it doesn't really go anywhere. And it yeah. takes forever to get there. It's yeah, it's very aimless, and so not all of it worked for me. But I felt like the scenes that hit really hit, and I just enjoyed the overall experience of it. I liked the little girl. I thought that she was really funny, and uh, she was just adorable. And the interaction, the the scene where she goes in and talks and to Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson's just <laughs> sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> and he's doing everything he can to get rid of her. Oh my god, I, love I just love that his, whole interaction. I love the the silence and the subtlety in which he just inches his cigarette Slowly. closer and closer to her <laughs> face <laughs> to get her to leave. <laughs> uh, it's it seems like that that made this movie work for me and made me made me want to recommend it to people. It definitely had a wet hot American summer vibe to me yeah it's just because to me there's just a bit too much seriousness with it like anytime it the movie sort of shifted over to the Liv Tyler version or um you know the Liv Tyler aspect of the film it just mm-hmm. came to a screeching halt for me it's just like oh my goodness like the pace the pacing's yeah. just way off it's I agree it's overly long it's entirely too long they need to cut it down cut that I agree. cut that sucker down yeah i i think that you're right there's definitely there's definitely stuff here that's enjoyable though it's not a complete waste of time i wouldn't say that well reminded me of wet hot american summer in that it was sort of a goof spoof but done in a very straightforward way and it it really celebrated the type of movie that it was spoofing and at the same time it added some really dark elements to it you know there's there's some dark stuff in wet hot american summer yeah this movie has i think some more dark things i mean like the 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 uh gerbil babies and the <laughs> the dog and just uh a lot of the jokes i thought were pretty dark I in just, this movie would you agree yeah and the, those for me were the ones that didn't really work a lot of the dark mm, I thought stuff. some i thought some of it worked i mean I, like, I guess it de- I, I guess it depends I, on what you consider to be dark, you know, like her uh what's her name just 
with the baby on the kitchen counter just smoking away blowing smoke in the baby's face and <laughs> drinking an entire glass of wine while she's breastfeeding yeah <laughs> i i mean i enjoyed some of it some of those little gags were good but just the stuff with like Liv tyler talking not yeah but the loneliness and then um like the decaying marriage and everything just i don't know it just felt shoehorned in. It's just off balance. A bit too much so. Um, and it feels as though, too, like when they finally get to the Christmas party, it feels as though the the writers and everything were just sort of aimlessly going along here, just wandering through this story. And then they're like, oh, shit, we got to bring everything together. Okay, we'll just have an outburst at this party. That'll take care of everything. And then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. We'll just get all the, uh, get all the nastiness out and then... And with an asteroid, boom, done. Let's do it. Now we're we're recording this actually before we speak to Jack Plotnick and the composers. Uh, but I would like to know what the differences between the play and the movie are. Like if they if the movie's structured the same way as the play, I'd like to know what how the play ended up. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they had the same a same scenario where it was the christmas party where they all came together and they all completely lost it and all that stuff yeah. the other thing that what you think of matt bomber's power glove arm ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's something else i, I thought it wor- i thought it worked in some aspects i love the fact that they added a sound effect to it every single time he moved yes i enjoyed I like that the, i like that little touch it's but it's kind of bizarre that in the fact that uh most of the time, he can't control it, it seems like, but yet he masturbates with it, which seems really daring. It's It does. It seems like a risky thing, but it also seems to really go haywire when there's like a switch on it that seems to go I know, which nuts. you think that he would know that by now. Like, if someone was going to press that switch or that button, he'd be like, oh, no, 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 you don't want to do that, because shit gets real. But apparently not. He's had the glove for a long time, but still doesn't seem to know how it works. Some but, of the... But yet masturbates with it. He's not yeah. a smart man. He's not the smartest. Well, he's his job is to, like, empty tanks empty, and stuff, yeah. you know? Empty he's, tanks and smoking jays. He's just a blue-collar blue guy. Smoking jays, silent running style. <laughs> I thought some of the more sentimental moments did work. One in particular was the anti-gravity scene like i thought that was cute i thought it worked that was all right i don't know i'm like i'm just like in the middle here you know half and half half of it worked the other half i couldn't stand (laughs) (laughs) yeah they would just Mm. if they would have just cut some stuff out i think we've been all right because i think that's what happens to me it starts dragging on a little bit and then the stuff that i didn't mind too much the fact that you're taking up so much of my time i really grow to dislike those things. When at first I was just like, eh, I can take it or leave it. Well, I will say that overall, looking at the whole package, whole package, it, it did it for me. The the visuals, the music, the performances, I thought everybody was pretty funny, did a good job, and mostly the awkward comedy. I <laughs> That was more than enough for me to be like, yep. And I love just small things in this movie like how she says she's going to work and then they just show her pressing like <laughs> the three buttons and then submitting it and then and then that's it she's just popping volumes 
Oh my goodness. I did, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed her performance. I thought she was, I would say it goes, goes Dr. Bot, the therapy bot, is number one, Patrick Wilson, number two, and then Marissa Coughlin at, I liked, at number three. I liked uh, Jerry O'Connell's wife, too, just because she wasn't in it as much as, as the other, as Marissa Coughlin, but I thought that she was really funny in her her expressions like her facial express expressions when she gives like when she gives uh Liv Tyler the present and she's like oh oh it's nothing and she's like oh we shouldn't have. it was nothing <laughs> like just little things like that oh uh, my i thought she was quite funny too. there's yeah there's some there's some good stuff in there unfortunately it's just sprinkled in with not so good stuff but you know all right what are, what are, what are will... you going to do what are you going to do not, nothing i guess <laughs> Uh, I will give I'll I'll keep a, a seven and a half on Space Station seventy six. Now on a rewatch, I was not as enamored? into it. Yeah. So oh no. I mean, realistically, I probably would lower that score, but I I, I never do that. So I'm gonna go. I'm going five. I'm gonna. Five. Well, there you have it. Space Station seventy six. By the time you listen to this, I think it it should be available on Tuesday. I don't know if it's going to be on DVD or or what, but I'm pretty sure that there's some sort of digital release on Tuesday, and I think that I saw something about that Redbox was getting it. So had a really weird release. Yeah, very odd. It it crept up out of nowhere. I didn't even know it was hitting theaters this weekend. Quite quite a strange release for that one. Hmm. All right, let's go over some predictions. Yeah. Last week, we said The Maze Runner. Uh, you said 46. I said 42. Actual 63. What? Surprising on that one. What? Yeah. That was a surprise. Come on now. Walk Among the Tombstones. You said 70. I said 62. Actual 65. What? Yeah, that one did better than expected also. What's going on here? I, I may try to fit that one in today. I wanted to see that this weekend. Tusk. Tusk. Yeesh. <laughs> we have a review for this up on the site ernie gave it a six and a half uh you predicted 56 i predicted 58 actual 39 on tusk oh i'll be very interested to see this i want to i want to craft my own judgment about this movie i'm just i don't know i'm just not sold by the idea well it looks like it looks like a comedic version of the human centipede to me and i don't want it to be that and i'm afraid that that's what it is but yeah i guess we'll have to see um we didn't predict it but i wanted to quickly plug the guest adam weingart simon barrett's the guest this has a 93 percent. so if it's playing in your area it got a very small release but if it if it is playing in your area go check it out you will have a ball with that movie i want to i want to see this based on me pretty much liking your next but I have to say, I'm kind of confused because you say 93%, but most of the reviews that I've been seeing from people are that it's terrible. So I'm confused. Well, I don't know. It's not terrible. Okay. A lot of people. If you say so. Read, if you say so. People, a lot of people that I read are saying that it's your, better than your next. I think that it's better than your next. I think that it shows more maturity in the technique okay. than your next. All right. It's a very different movie. It's it's hard to really compare the two because yeah. 
The Guest isn't really a horror movie. It's more of a action thriller. All right. But, I mean, when you see it, you'll be like, yeah, well, you'll know why I liked it when, I, you, when you see it. It's, I just, it's, uh, yeah, I, it looks like a movie that's right up your alley. But I would also like to get a count of throughout this podcast, how many movies we t- discussed that are, the title is just the and then a word. Because it feels like we've done like 30 already. Okay, well, uh, let's do some more. Next week we have the <laughs> box trolls. <laughs> uh, what is that? Did everyone just get really fucking lazy? Oh, just just wait. So we have the box trolls next week. We already predicted this because apparently I wrote it down incorrectly and thought it came out this week. Fantastic. So you said 82, I said 85 on that. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, we also have the equalizer. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's keep going. What do you think about the equalizer? This movie looks ridiculous. I heard it's pretty this is, bloody. I heard it's very violent. I just thought it was hilarious. Watching the trailer for this thing, and then the moment that they, they're like, you killed such and such members of the Russian mafia. I'm just like, are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? <laughs> you killed members of the Russian mafia. You're going down. <laughs> yeah, Dead Cell's like, oh shit. We're I hope I hope there's a scene where he's like, it's time to equalize these bitches. <laughs> or that's how the movie ends. What do they call you? They call me the equalizer. Uh, you can just call me the equalizer. <laughs> I never saw the show. Did you ever see the show, the TV show? No, no. I think it was before no. our time, wasn't but it? But I do love the series? fact that he works at like Home Depot or some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just a regular guy, just, just regular, regular yeah, Joe that at night turns into a fucking superhero and destroys the Russian mafia. Well, I, I mean, think that he's a retired. Oh, I'm sure he's a retired something he's or other. A retired something. Or been trained by every military in the world. Some I'm not shit. a shit. I'm not a fan of Antoine Fuqua, so his movies are just I, getting I increasingly, no increasingly insane. I'm one of the very few people that was not blown away by Training Day. So, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed it, but everything else since then has been. Uh, I, I like, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I just wasn't like, you know, circle jerk into it <laughs> with everybody else. I wasn't, I wasn't in the Training Day circle jerk with everybody else. <laughs> oh god and that's still going on by the way i mean how many posters do you see sprinkled online and and in the theater that say from the blank of training day oh my god he's been it's never ending ever from the producers of training day from the executive producers of training day the director of training day i think that should just be a prerequisite from now on they just need to put that on every movie from the producers of Training Day, the Box Trolls. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, what are you thinking of The Equalizer? The Equalizer. Um, 60. Okay, I'll say 63. I don't know how that one's going to be. I have no idea. In limited release next week, we have The Two Faces of January. There's another the for you. That's on video on demand right now, I believe. So you can see that right now. Two Night Stand with Miles Teller. I believe Ernie's going to have a review for that one up. Thank God. Jimmy, Jimmy, all is by my side. What? Hmm. I don't know why you're not reviewing that. 
Because it should be made. <laughs> should have been made. Come on. Lilting. I've heard good what things are... about that one. Yeah, I heard good things, but I, I find it to be the worst title ever. Oh. I just hate saying it for some reason. Lilting. <laughs> just pisses you off that you have to say that word. I know. I just don't like it. It's like saying the rural juror. <laughs> the rural juror. <laughs> Lilting. Oh, my. Uh, we also have Plastic and David Cronenberg's... Cronenberg's. <laughs> God. David Cronenberg's uh, map to, Maps to the Stars. Which I have not heard good things about. I heard mi- uh, some... I've read some good yeah, things. Yeah, it's mixed. But... Some some not so good things. Everything that I'm that, starting to read now is becoming increasingly more terrible. Once it gets outside of the the whole festival circuit, where people seem to be a little more generous with their ratings, I've noticed. I know I am. Yeah, see, I mean, I, I don't I don't know what that is. It's just the atmosphere. It's a very positive vibe. I don't know if I ever wrote. Well, you know what? I think I did write a couple bad reviews out of festivals, but. Not many. Yeah, I've doled out twos at festivals. At a festival. I've only been to one festival. I shouldn't make it sound like I'm at festivals like every other fucking weekend. Well, that's I'm not, not either, but... I don't know, maybe we'll cover that one next week. We'll see. I always want to give Cronenberg a shot, because... Well, he he deserves I, it. I like him. He deserves it. He's, he's put in his time, as they say. Yeah, he's paid his dues. All right, next week on Video On Demand, we have Jack and the Cuckoo Clock Heart. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, that's a French animated film. Jack. Yeah, uh, we'll be reviewing that one. White Bird in a Blizzard. I'm definitely checking that one out. Very curious to see how that, that goes. That's uh, Greg Araki. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, With right. uh, Shailene Woodley and Ava Green. Very interested on that, in that one. Uh, good people, believe me. Uh, field of lost shoes. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? David Arquette's field of lost shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a second. What is this? Oh, it's about American Civil War. Yeah, I guess. All right. Okay. Um, plastic and days and nights. I know very little about any of those actually. Dude, Field Lost Shoes got Tom Skerritt in it. I saw that. Good old Tom Skerritt. Where's he been at lately? He's been in the Field of Lost Shoes. Finding those shoes, I guess. <laughs> oh, boy. Next week on DVD and Blu-ray, we have The Calling, a movie so forgettable that I had literally forgot to mention it on the show when I saw it. I just, I, seriously, we need to get a fucking ticker for movies that are just the and then a word. Because yeah. that is 54 just wait. right now. Just wait. There's more. There's <laughs> oh, my more. God. We also have... Uh, oh, The Calling is with Susan Sarandon and Topher Grace. It's a murder mystery. Oh, my God. Uh, it's very... You, very. You just put me to sleep. Yeah, it's very generic. Susan Sarandon is fantastic in it, and Ellen Burstyn's in it, too. Seeing the two of them on screen together is almost worth checking this movie out, because... In this movie, they're fantastic, and Donald Sutherland's in it too, and he's amazing in it yeah, also. Man, so some good people in this one. Yeah, uh, solid performances, really, really good performances. But the movie itself, uh, very lackluster. Mm. Halloween: The Complete Collection comes out on Blu-ray. I may be picking that one up. I don't know if I've ever seen Halloween. I, I, 
feel like there's some in the middle that I haven't seen. I'm I don't remember seeing like five and six, like the later ones. I know I saw H two O and Resurrection, but I think there were some some in there that I don't really remember when like when Daniel Daniel Harris was in it. I think she was in like part four or something. But I want to revisit the series. Probably a good idea. One and two I think are still the best, but uh, we also have Ida. Finally. Gonna be checking that one out. Been waiting all year for this. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Cool. We also have <laughs> Neighbors. <laughs> uh, why isn't this called The Neighbors? I don't know. I feel like you missed an opportunity. It should be, because it would fit in with The Rover, which is also coming out, and The Signal, which is also coming out. Wow. I'll be checking out The Signal. I didn't hear really good things, but... Yeah. I thought it looked interesting, so I'll be giving that a poke. And finally, very good girls. I like the way you said that. The we'll, we'll add a the there, even though it's not supposed to be there. The very good girls. I have a feeling that they're not good. Probably not. Any criterions or any other ones I forgot? Oh, we got one called The Innocents. So even back in the '60s, they did it. This is from 1961. Uh, Jack, wait, wait a second. Get my barons, get my barons together. Jack Clayton, co-written by Truman Capote. Oh, yeah. So this is supposed to be frightening, supernatural, gothic. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know about that one. I might check it out. This one I'm yeah, probably it's... not really going to check out, and that's Roman Polanski's Macbeth. Oh yeah, Shakespeare. Have you ever seen that? What Macbeth? No, the Polanski one. No, I haven't seen the Polanski. No, I, even I even either. Polanski cannot get me interested in Shakespeare. So maybe at some point in time, if I don't really have anything to do, or if I had like a major surgery and I'm laid up on the couch, I might check it out then. The only Shakespearean adaptations that I would probably see are the ones that don't use the language. You know, ones that just use the story as inspiration <clears throat> and then put a, a neat little spin on it. Sort of like what the Coen brothers did with Oh Brother Where Art Thou and, and um, The Odyssey. Shakespeare is not the Odyssey. I know that. <laughs> I'm just using that <laughs> oh, as an example. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. I, I know that. For a second there, I was like, does, does he know? Does yes, he know? of course okay. I know. Okay. Homer's the Odyssey. Okay. Okay, gotcha. I'm using, I, I was using I, that as an example now, because I, I couldn't think of any gotcha. that were actually, gotcha. maybe O. I think O. Yeah, wasn't that with Julia Stiles? Yeah, but I didn't like that, so I didn't <laughs> want to use that as an example. <laughs> Uh, there's plenty. There's plenty more. But I don't know if I've really liked any of them. But yeah, I'm with you. The ones that don't use the, the language I'm more into. I don't know anything about Polanski's Shakespeare work. I don't know if he uses the language or not. I don't really want to find out. So No, I, I mean, I won't be looking into this. So if someone else can find it out and see if it does or doesn't. And then you don't really need to tell us because I don't think we care. Nope. <laughs> All right. I think we'll, that will wrap it up for the week. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I am Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie.